The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 38, Haunted Vision, Part 3. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all your restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who've experienced them, and share them with you, right here. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories or haunted locations, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightoutpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. A boutique vision center nestled in the Texas Hill Country has been experiencing a plethora of unusual phenomena. The staff experience iframes falling off the racks, objects going missing and then reappearing in unusual places, loud recurring bangs on the interior walls, rubber balls seemingly appearing out of thin air, disembodied voices and sounds, music, shadow figures, and even two full-bodied apparition sightings of a female spirit in exam room 2. After investigating these claims with my team and psychic Sarah, some interesting theories were brought to light. Through interviews and psychic readings, it was theorized that some form of witchcraft might have been performed on this property in the past, and that earth spirits of a mischievous nature may be trapped on the property. Now, for the first time in Night Owl history, we seek out counsel and assistance from a local witch to see if we can provide any more answers and possible solutions for the staff at Dripping Springs Vision Center. Stay tuned. Night Owls, please join me in thanking Athletic Greens for sponsoring this episode. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash nightowl. If you aren't already a Patreon supporter, please consider joining at patreon.com slash the podcast. In exchange for a small monthly donation, you gain access to exclusive videos, audio, interviews, behind the scenes, live streams with myself, Sarah, and Alexis, venue walkthroughs, and more. And this month and in April, we'll be releasing some really cool behind the scenes extras for this series, including surveillance footage, audio, and video of strange experiences that we captured during a special night investigation that we conducted at Dripping Springs Risen Center. Also, some of you Night Owls may have already got your orders in, but if you haven't seen our new Stay Restless Mineral Wash Tea, go to our online shop and check it out now. It's freaking rad. And we will only be running prints for pre-orders, so if you want to grab this limited new shirt, you need to pre-order it now. You'll have approximately 60 hours from the release of this episode to get your order in, and then we're shutting all pre-orders down. So, visit thenightowlpodcast.com and click on our online shop to pre-order this tea. Our friends at Oh Boy Print Shop will be handling the prints so we're in great hands and aim to have them ready to ship sometime in April. Stay restless out there, and if you're a true night owl, be sure to pre-order this Stay Restless tea before you miss out. Following the visit with our psychic friend Sarah, we had some new directions to explore. Uncharted territory for me, to be honest. Gnomes and fairies were things I hadn't crossed paths with in my decades of exploring the paranormal. However, although strange and unexpected, Sarah's readings did align with the reported activity at this site. I have a large encyclopedia in my Night Owl library at home that I reference often. It's a very comprehensive three-volume set that I found at an old library going out of business over a decade ago. It's called the Encyclopedia of Occultism and Parapsychology. Following our second visit, I wanted to just see if I could find anything on these supposed gnomes in the encyclopedia of mine. I didn't have luck under the G's, so I moved to E for elementals. 
I found a large section on elementary spirits, and I'll summarize some of the information that I gathered. It began by outlining elementary spirits as unseen entities said to inhabit the four elements of the finest essence of which they are composed. And those essences were air, earth, fire, and water. The creatures that corresponded with those elements were as follows. Sylphs were with air, gnomes were with earth, salamanders with fire, and nymphs or undines with water. It went on to state that the earth is filled almost to the center with gnomes, people of small stature, the guardians of subterranean treasure, minerals, and precious stones. They are ingenious, friendly towards men, and easy to command. There wasn't a lot on gnomes themselves in this book, but one thing I found in this reading was that sometimes poltergeist activity is often attributed to elementary spirits such as gnomes. So it led to some digging online. There was an article called Elemental Hauntings on OtherworldlyOracle.com, and what I found interesting were these two bullet points listed as a sign of elemental hauntings. Number one, poltergeist-like activity, items being blatantly moved, slammed, destroyed, loud knocking on walls at night. And number two, personal items going missing or moved to odd places, jewelry, keys, heirlooms, etc. Some of these definitely connected with the activity of this case, but I wanted to get someone with more expertise in this area involved. So I called up a friend whom Alexis highly recommended we get involved. His name is Jeffrey, and he's been a practicing folk witch for nearly his entire life. My name is Jeffrey. Um, I'm in my 50s, and I have been practicing witchcraft and studying what I guess we would call the occult, you know, divination, astrology, spirits, anything that would go into the occult umbrella, pretty much since as far back as I can remember. Um, I remember when I was six years old in the first grade, knowing that there was magic, that there were energies and there was something in the wind. And, and I, it's really hard to describe almost, but I can still feel it. I, I knew the difference between TV show witches and magic, and there was something real. And I don't know if it comes from a past life or if it's just something instinctive, but I took my first step on the path to, to teaching myself, because I didn't have any teachers, you know, to becoming a, a witch when I was six years old. And back then, there was no internet. It was much more difficult to find anything about witches or witchcraft other than a history book on Salem. But um, as the years went on and I listened to my instincts and I listened to the voices I could hear in the wind and the spirits from the nature, I grew up, you know, out in the country. I, I was also sensitive to spirits like uh, energies in places where things had happened or getting messages from, I don't want to call them ghosts, but like what most people would call spirit guides, sometimes people who had passed on, that kind of a thing. So as the older I got, you know, the more I was able to uh, get to libraries and dig around and find things like that. You know, a lot of people grow up with spiritual teachers, either from their culture, you know, and where they live or maybe someone in their family. But I grew up in Northeast Texas where everybody was Christian and went to the little church down the road. And so um, it was something I pretty much kept to myself. You know, people knew that I liked spooky TV shows and stuff like that. And I, you know, I wanted Ouija boards instead of footballs, but... <laughs> 
um, I never did really come out of the broom closet until much, much later in life. I guess the next big turning point in all of that would have been when I was in my early 20s when the new age kind of thing started happening and more uh, books were being published. Um, I was lucky to find some really good ones that kind of helped me focus what I had been doing. And I found out all along I had been doing what we now call folk magic or folk witchery. I'm not one of those people that wears long velvet robes and carries a sword and does all this ceremonial kind of stuff, which some people do, and that's great. But uh, you're more likely to just to find me like going for a walk in the woods and like bringing home a stone that spoke to me or making a, a poppet, a doll for a healing, you know, out of grass that I pick in the backyard. <laughs> I was always attracted to that kind of magic. And I found some really good books on that that helped me focus and learn a little bit more that, you know, it wasn't just me. I knew there were other things out there, um, but it was, you really hardly ever met anybody. But I started to finally meet some people and take some formal classes in astrology and things like that. But as time went on, you started to meet people and connect with people maybe in that same section in the bookstore. We joke about it now, but it's like, you know, we were all Wiccan because all the books said we were. But Wicca is a religion, and while I do believe in a deity in in the form of a goddess and a god, a male and female energy, it was never a religion for me. That was always kind of a separate. But I started meeting other pagan people and going to gatherings and things like that and learning about traditions, you know, like what this what we call denominations, you know, like I said, because it was all religio magic back then. Those days are gone by, and now the the trend right now is for everyone to say, I'm a forest witch, I'm a tea witch, I'm a crystal witch. And so now I found out after 50 years that I'm uh, apparently I'm a folk witch. <laughs> so everybody wants a kind of a label these days, so that's the one that kind of fits. And it's I've actually come back to kind of the old way that I began. You know, I don't have a lot of books and, and trappings anymore, and there is now kind of a new... Um, recognition of what we call low magic, folk magic, simple home kind of magic and other traditions like hoodoo and conjure that are getting attention and books are being published from good sources on them. So that's actually kind of um, refreshing. But I would say it's about half intuition and just sort of learning on my own from the world, from the universe and, and half from, you know, sussing things out in books. Coming from like a very like, let's say the listeners are like, Oh, I believe in ghosts, but I've never really thought about this. You know what I mean? How would you approach like explaining the culture, the type of people, also like maybe some of the misconceptions? I would love to hear some of that from you just because I've never had that talked about with anybody on the show. Well, the the first thing I would say is that especially coming from the, like I said, the low magic folk witchery tradition is that historically we sort of reclaimed the word witch. Not so long ago, the word witch would have meant someone who consorted with wicked spirits and things like that, but someone who does the kinds of things like I do, um, and a lot of us do, like a curandero would do, or you know, a, sort of a village healer type person might do, we would have been called um, a cunning man or a cunning woman, because what we call witchcraft is Okay, there's a big, people say witchcraft, they use it as a generic term to mean any kind of magic or practitioner of magic, and they say, oh, that's witchcraft from this part of the world. Well, no, witchcraft is from Western Europe, especially from the UK, that area. That's where you would have had the cunning men, cunning women, people, um, peller, they're also called pellers in uh, Ireland and Scotland. But most of them were Christian. They went to church. They went to a lot of your old traditional British 
uh, spells are all about the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They're blessings. They're healing, you know, to keep away negative energy, the um, evil spirits, to, to bless your, your cattle, all of these kinds of things that they would have done back then. And, you know, you would have gotten, there are a lot of spells that require you to go to the churchyard at midnight or, you know, graveyard dirt from an actual churchyard, which means the graveyard connected to a church, you know, not a cemetery off by itself. So uh, these people were Christians, you know, because practicing magic or what we now call witchcraft was a practice. Nowadays, you know, we use the words like cunning man and, and witch. I kind of use those interchangeably because, you know, definitions and and uh, the way we use things, you know, change with time and the way we I- identify with both, you know. Um, I would be comfortable with someone calling me a cunning man, but, you know, I've called myself a witch for over 50 years and I'm not a, it's, there's a very famous witch who's written a lot of books. Her name's Lori Cabot and she says, the word witch is a delicious word and I'll never give it up. And I'm like, right on. This was not so very long ago, something that would have gone along with asking, you know, the priest to bless your house or trying, you know, going to the doctor. Of course, back then they didn't have a whole lot of doctors, especially in the remote places. And again, I'm I'm going back, you know, and this is actually part of my DNA, you know, because um, I've had it done, but all all the stuff that would have happened more in the UK, you know, parts of Western Europe, the further east you go, like in Eastern Europe, like in places like the Ukraine and places like that, they have their own folk magic, their own, I hate to say versions like witches are the only one, but they would have their own counterparts to a village witch or a healer. And those are all going to be probably Catholic, especially the ones that go far, further back, you know, especially in Western Europe. Everyone was Catholic back then. So the the whole notion about demons and things like that, a lot of that comes from the Middle East, working with spirits like that, and and from ceremonial magic, from you know the the like the Elizabethan times where people like John Dee and all those ceremonial magicians were trying to conjure them and trap them and make them do their bidding. And there are a lot of different traditions that were uh, not just witchcraft that work with spirits of different sorts, you know, nature spirits, familiar spirits. What most people have thought of as a witch is familiar, you know, they think, oh, it's an animal, a, a cat, a toad, a, an owl. A familiar is actually a, a spirit, and it might take the form of one of those animals, but a witch is familiar is actually a spirit that the witch works with that is not the, the spirit of a person who passed on. It's a spirit from nature. The energies of, of a land, of a place, have a consciousness. It's called animism, where the, there's personhood and consciousness and everything. A lot of witches, um, especially people doing folk magic, embrace animism. I, I mean, I really do have rocks that I've connected with, like, and I, it may sound goofy, but they have an energy, almost a personality. You can work with those energies. You can ask them to protect your home, working with certain trees. I mean, the more you start to study witchcraft, then you study herbalism, then you study divination and astrology, and you learn things, not just herbalism as in how to make medicines, but about the magical properties of trees and herbs and, and everything that grows up from the earth. You know, And people connecting with those is how we discovered what they are here to do. It's very complex, but when it comes down to it, is that it's a connection with everything, with realizing that there's energy and personhood, if you will, with everything, with the land, with the trees, with the plants, with the elements, 
and with spirits, not just spirits of human beings who have crossed over. That's kind of a different thing. But Hollywood and, of course, you know, the further back we go places like Salem, you know, anything that's not us is evil. That's why people connect. There's a lot of the pagan holidays that can be um, or Christian holidays that were connected to pagan ones because they came in and said, oh, that's you're celebrating this, but it's really now it's this. So there were ways to, to get people to change over. The word pagan itself is from the Latin pagani. It simply means country dweller. Most people today, if you said pagan, they would say, oh, that's an evil devil person. Well, the pagans were the further ones out from the cities, and they were the last ones to be converted. They were the ones who held on to the old ways the longest. So even the name for those people became a vilified thing. Big part of being a witch is being aware and being mindful all the time, and not just of this physical, what we call the physical world. Working on keeping those channels open, you know, I mean, the sight, seeing seeing the dead and getting feelings from places, that kind of a thing. You usually hear about that running in the family uh, through the women, but apparently it runs through the men in my family. And a lot, there's also has been cases of severe depression and things like that in the men in my family. And I would wager that a lot of it is because those psychic gifts were never recognized or developed and they didn't know how to deal with those feelings and those energies. For some reason, this was what I was supposed to be doing in this lifetime. I started when I was, you know, I grew up around shows like Bewitched and Star Trek and Dark Shadows, and we played those. That's what we played on the playground. But playing TV magic and, and things like that somehow led me to discover that there was a real magic in the world and to know the difference, you know. Now, you said a lot of things that really clicked with what I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um Especially, I think probably this is why Alexis recommended that we get you involved. Up to this point, the show's been very straightforward. It's kind of like your typical classic hauntings, right? And so this one threw me for a big loop. I was like trying to process what Sarah was saying and what she was seeing and then what Alexis was telling me because it's something I've never had to process because it dealt with this culture. And I have never really dove into it. I'm not opposed to it. I just never really have ever experienced it. It was kind of like I was outside of myself, like, how am I going to explain this to my audience? Because I'm not <laughs> the expert in this area. Okay, with Ghost, I had my own experience. And as I've taken the show, I've tried to introduce people, even that are skeptic, about what happened to me. And so then I was like, well, in order for people to, to understand, like, how I've come to where I am and where my belief is in the paranormal, I'm going to take them on that journey that I went through every time I do an episode. So that way, if someone tunes in, they're understanding this is coming from a place of very carefully gone over and explained. And that way people understand like, well, it was definitely like looked at from all angles. I I trust and believe Sarah because Sarah's proven herself hundreds of times to me. But when she said it, I was like, that is weird. Like what she was seeing just didn't click for me. (laughs) And it was in this world. And I was just like, how am I going to present this to my fan base and to the people that have followed me that know that I just typically the way I approach things, I'm like, well, I need to find someone that knows this world. And Alexis says, he knew some of it, but he's like, but I really want you to get in touch with Jeffrey. I'll tell you what Sarah saw, and then I want you to explain to me, if if you know what it is, what you know about that type of spirit. We were at a uh, a vision center. It's a really cool little place in Dripping Springs. There's a lot more going on there than just this, but this is a big component. She said that there were gnomes, tons of gnomes, Mm -hmm actually entering the building which is not usual she said and they are causing all this stuff to happen 
for this vision center. I'm curious. I don't, when I thought of gnomes, obviously I thought of the red pointy hat and the long beard. And I was just like, gnomes? <laughs> like, I was like, what? I mean, in my mind, I didn't say this out loud. I was just like, what are you talking about? I mean, we've always gone and it's like something like this is a, a woman or this is a male. She was just like, there's tons of little gnomes here. And I'm like, gnomes? So it, it definitely threw a wrench in my vision of what I thought was going on there. And I was like, okay. But I know mm-hmm. about earth spirits and elementals. And I didn't right. know like that's kind of similar in this sense. But I'm curious, with your knowledge, what can you tell me about gnomes or those type of spirits? Are there other names for them? Well, some people would say that a gnome is a type of a fairy. And before, you know, that's something you're probably worried about your fan base going, oh, my God, now they're doing fairy tale. Fairy is, the reason they're called fairies is because that's where they come from, the land of fairy. That is the name of that dimension or that realm, whatever you want to call it. It's part of the other world, the, the world of spirit. When it comes to a gnome, I, I would describe them, say, to someone like you, who it might be easier to understand so you don't get a bunch of Walt Disney or cartoony ideas as earth spirits. The reason we're calling them earth spirits is because in the main, not every tradition, magical tradition, has the same elemental um, correspondences with the four directions. But in the main, and this is the way I you know, learn is north, the direction of north in this hemisphere is earth. Gnomes, think of them as underground. I mean, there's a reason why you see dwarves and things like that being uh, like in Lord of the Rings, under the ground and in mines. That's Hollywood, but that came from the old legends. They are spirits that come from the earth. They are part of the energies that we, we say rule it because that means that's what they, they cover. Um, that's kind of a term I borrowed from astrology. And they are associated with physical things, uh, prosperity, abundance, which is often uh, symbolized in tarot cards or something as a coin or you know, a piece of gold. Those kinds of tangible um, things. It's also protection, you know, because the earth is strong and solid. Um, it, in fact, not just abundance and prosperity, but even sturdiness, steadiness, you know, a foundation. This is where the energy you would call on, you know, for not just protection or abundance, but also for um, strength, solidity, like the mountains, you know, rocks deep inside the earth, that kind of a thing, very strong and, and solid, right? So if those kinds of spirits are in there jumping around, it's because they may be coming in and out of the house, but they're not going back to where they live and coming back. They're stuck on that property, which is why the first time it, this was mentioned, I don't know if the house is blue or if it's like an old one-story house, but I saw a chain-link fence around it, which may or may not be there. Um, not everybody has those anymore, but sometimes I think see things symbolically, and to me that's going to say that even though they can see through it and they know where they're from, they can't get out of it. Something has got them stuck there, right? So... They're going into the house and they're messing around with stuff because they're not where they need to be, back in their realm, right? And so they're going to get mischievous, you know? (laughs) That energy's got to go somewhere, and they're in this physical realm, and and with being associated with the North, it's even easier, I think, for them to connect and, you know, move things and touch them and stuff like that. And uh, I'm getting an impression that there's like, I don't know why there's so many of them, unless they were attracted there by something or something, but... They're sort of scurrying around, and they they can't get back where they should be. 
Yeah, you're getting what Sarah got <laughs> and what Alexis was able to, based on what Sarah was seeing, he made a very similar observation, 100% what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you more in a minute. Sorry, I'm, I'm being, I know I'm being cryptic right now because I love this. I love getting... No, 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 no. I don't want you to tell me too much. Yeah. So next next phase is I'm curious. Let's say it's, okay, it's, they're in a building. Is there anything that their, like, their energy would be drawn to more to be messing with certain things? Can you think of anything like certain types of activity or, or certain types of objects that that sort of earth spirit is more drawn to? Well, I mean, again, if we go with the traditional connections, they would be drawn to things that are metallic, things that are wooden, things that we would think of, you know, coming from the earth. They're not going to be like messing up the, I wouldn't think they would be messing up like the Wi-Fi signal, not that kind of stuff. That would be more like an air spirit. They're going to be moving physical things around. A little mischievous, but it's going to be something maybe with some weight to it, something solid. Things that are more, I don't know, rustic. I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's cool. No, I'll, okay. I'll say you more now because, I mean, you are you, the mischievous is 100% correct. And they are messing with the staff. Mm-hmm. The things that are happening that are super common are keys going missing mm-hmm. and being moved. Mm-hmm. Metal. Yep. And then the frames, the glasses. And they're, they're metal as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got, I don't know if some of them are glass, some of them are plastic, but mm-hmm. I don't know if glass is another, uh, I don't know if they're attracted to certain things, but. Well, I mean, if they're stuck there and they're interacting with the physical, then, you know, there's just going to be a whole lot of glasses there and they're different colors. So maybe that's part of it. I mean, they could interact with just about anything. Um, they're just, I'm just thinking they're more likely to, to move physical objects than would be to like interfere with signals and stuff like that. 100%. Yeah. And so here's the here's the kicker too. This is interesting. What you talked about your fence thing, right? Mm-hmm. So Sarah, she goes, I need to go outside and look at it better. Said this place is incredibly protected by this dome. It's got a huge hemisphere dome over it of energy. Mm. And then Alexis explained that that's what he believes is this protection mm-hmm. spell circle that is it goes underground as well. Yeah, it would be a, a whole circle with. Halfway, yeah. you know, the ground is where it cuts off halfway, so it goes yeah. under and over. That's what like Sarah says is 100% around that property. And we found out that it was only a house that wasn't that old. Maybe only from like the 40s or not, maybe not even that old, maybe even the 60s. But it only had one family. The son owned the property and he rented it out to tenants for a while. Mm-hmm. And apparently, we Alexis quickly asked, the doctor do you know anything if anybody's ever practiced anything that lived here that did ritual magic or ritual stuff and he said well funny you ask he goes out of the blue i'm seeing a patient one day and he tells me um, i wanted to come and, and see you because this was this was my house and so then he told him about some things happening and he was just like no he goes i never had anything weird happen to me growing up ever he's like none of us ever experienced anything and then he goes well he goes but you know what he was one of my tenants that i had we had a lot of issues because they did a lot of rituals and it was a, uh, it seemed to be like voodoo or something and they would do them. And so we were like kind of concerned about what they were doing out in the house. And that's when Alexis clicked. He's like, I think someone did this spell, conjured the, the birth spirits to do something to help them, but then they didn't send them back. Mm-hmm. And now they're stuck in this dome with, without a way to get back. That's what Alexis's theory is. I would hazard a guess that if you feel this energy when you, and it's this welcoming vibe and there are natural portals there, it's probably has to do with the land itself. It's kind of 
sometimes that kind of energy is inside of everything. It runs through everywhere, but it can kind of like maybe two lines of it intersect and make kind of like a node or something where it's like a little stronger, which would also attract all kinds of spirit. It might attract a magical person without them knowing it. Without knowing anything, I mean, they they could have been doing drum circles in the backyard, which are just drum circles, or they could have been doing rituals. The thing about if it was just a regular, like a Wiccan circle for a ritual or, you know, a religious observance, that would probably just be in the house or the yard where they were doing it, not the whole property, maybe. But if they didn't take it down, then they didn't know what they were doing. But a thing like that is meant to contain energy, to create a sacred space, right? And But then it's at the end of the ritual, the rite, it's released. If someone walks through it without the usually the high priest or priestess opening a doorway in it, it will dissipate. Over time, it will degrade and dissipate. It won't last very long, especially if the person's not there anymore. But if something was put up and not taken down and there's an energy that's feeding it and they're stirring up all that energy, it could just, I'm getting the idea that that's probably what it is. I won't know until I'm there, but if someone didn't know enough to take it down, then most of what you're going to find it's the basic, the Wiccan circle with the north is earth and the west is water and the south is fire and the east is air. These are very, um, they're not always that in magical traditions, but in most of them, especially the ones you're going to find in the, the first few hits on the internet, that's what you're going to come across, even if it's not called Wicca. I won't know till I get there, but if it's that, then it shouldn't be difficult to release. Once it's down, they should be able to see their way home. If for some reason they're not, but if those natural portals are already there, that may be how they were coming and going anyway. But if someone opened one, that's something else that I'll have to, either it's the one that brought them in, but they can't get back through it. Maybe it needs to come down and they can just go on their own, or I would have to do another one. And then once they're out, you know, back to where they belong, then I would take it down to make sure that everything is all right. This first call with Jeffrey had me excited to see what he would actually pick up when he set foot on the property and had time to fill out and explore it. Without any knowledge, he'd picked up on some of the same feelings Alexis and Sarah had, as well as confirmed the types of activity the supposed gnomes might be responsible for at this site. So we decided to plan a visit to the center with Jeffrey to see if we could gain any more insight and see if he could possibly help with any spirits or energy that might need to be altered or assisted. When we get back from this short break, we'll travel to Dripping Springs Vision Center with Jeffrey, get updates from the staff, and see if we can gain any more closure for the strange happenings at this establishment. Stay tuned. As I've mentioned before, I have an extremely busy schedule. When I'm not investigating new locations, making phone calls, doing interviews, recording and editing content for the show, I try to find time to do things that improve my general health and well-being. I began taking AG1 by Athletic Greens mostly because it fit perfectly with my busy schedule, and I wanted something that would promote better overall health. Well, two months into the AG1 regimen, I couldn't be any happier with the results. One scoop of AG1 in the morning with 8 ounces of cold water provides me with a powerful blend of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that has improved my body's digestive health bolstered my immune system, and given me the extra boost of energy that I need to get me through my insanely busy days. Night Owls, you know from listening to this show that I am a straight shooter and I am meticulous about uncovering the truth. Well, I'm telling you, this product is the real deal. 
it really works. Before finding AG1, I was suffering from severe digestive issues and was having to adjust my diet drastically to try to find some form of relief. But nothing I did worked. It was an incredibly unpleasant and stressful couple of months for me. But since starting my AG1 regimen, my digestive issues have disappeared and those annoying diet restrictions are a thing of the past. And on top of improving my digestive health, I've noticed a huge improvement in my daily energy levels. On a couple of rare occasions, I missed my morning dose of AG1, and boy did I notice the difference in terms of my energy on those days. I could physically feel how tired and exhausted I used to feel before AG1 was a part of my daily routine. So for me, it's definitely one scoop once a day every day from now on for my personal health and energy. Once again, thank you Athletic Greens for your amazing product and for your support of this show. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash night owl. That's athleticgreens.com slash night owl. Check it out. Following our introductory call, I scheduled a day for Jeffrey to visit the Vision Center. But before that, I wanted to check in with the staff to see how things had been since our last visit with Sarah. So I got Desiree on the phone for a quick update. What really resonated with me was the lights. The lights are just play a big part in, gosh, almost everyday life here at our office. She was right just about the... The more activity in the office, uh, the more the lights flicker. Or, you know, if one of us, you know, is talking and is animated about something or excited, we notice that the lights flicker more or, you know, some kind of positive energy. I don't really think it's negative. It's usually just more of a, of a happy feeling. Uh, we did take her advice and bring in plants, uh, more plants and flowers occasionally. And I really hope that that is appreciated. Um, you know, of course we love it. And then the bangs, we still heard those after she left. And it was interesting, you know, her, her explaining, you know, what that was. It happens so often and it still is that, you know, it's just part of everyday life here. You know, it's nice to know where that's coming from. But then also, Sarah mentioned that the big earthly uh, elementals, I believe she called them the really giant ones, you know, leaning up against the house. We hear that too and have, I guess, just really never thought a way to describe it. You know, cracking on the side of the house. That's not normal, but, you know, attributing that to settling, well, I don't know, this place has been here for a long time. So that that was very interesting to us. And Margarita really took it to heart, you know, with the sugar cubes and the candy, uh, because the, the little elementals, you know, just were so attracted to her and just seemed to be mischievous all the time. So uh, she was so great about it. A couple of times she would, you know, tell me to come with her to the back uh, break room. And we have a back door there that leads into the, into the yard and 
she took some candies and said, okay, you come on, shoo, shoo, get out of here, open the door and threw the candy out into the yard to, to have the little elementals go outside because they were being too much. I should also mention that one of the times that she uh, threw the candy outside, she said she felt a rush of air going out past her. It was great to hear the staff were noticing some differences and trying some of the things that Sarah had recommended. One of the things I wish I'd documented better was the issues that the staff were having with the lights. I mentioned this in the previous episode, but I wanted to readdress it here for a moment. On almost every case we have, there's light flickering reported. So I've gotten to where I simply ignore it because every time prior to this, it didn't really have any significance to the haunting or our psychic readings. And almost every time Franklin has discovered it to be an electrical issue, it's explainable. So when the staff mentioned that they had issues with the lights, I kind of didn't ask them further questions about it and didn't document it in our initial recordings. So that's my bad. Following Sarah's visit and her announcing that the female spirit is the one trying to communicate through the light flickering, Dr. Dobson and Desiree confirmed that they experience it a lot in the building, especially in exam rooms 1 and 2. Well, even more interesting, following our investigations, the staff have actually captured this phenomena with their surveillance system, which I'll be posting on our Patreon page soon. But after hearing this update from Desiree, it had me feeling good about this upcoming visit with Jeffrey. It seemed that the staff were feeling okay with the activity in their space, and us coming to possibly help alleviate some of the more mischievous activity might provide the staff with the final bit of closure they needed. It was Sunday, April 3rd, 2022, when we arrived for our final investigation. This time, it would be a smaller crew since schedules just could not align. Today, it was just myself, Jeffrey, one of our photographers and night owl helpers, Meg, along with Dr. Dobson and Desiree. Upon arrival, Jeffrey wanted to absorb the energy he was picking up on the exterior first. So we took a stroll around the property at dusk. Whenever there's this many oak trees and these little groupings this way, it's just very inviting. It feels like a grove, like a place where something would happen. And I mean, this entire area from what I can see is like that. It's, it's like Texas druidy at the same time, you know? So, I mean, that's part of it. I think if there's not a river nearby, there's probably a lot of them running underneath us, running water underneath us. I'm dripping springs, hello. But that would also add to the energy to keep things, flowing water is very powerful psychic energy um, battery, if you will. And I didn't really pick up on anything until I came around to the back here. And there's lots of pairs of trees that kind of make like little arches. But if you look, those two right there on that little rise, my, I'm breaking out in goosebumps. That's that's special, those two right there. Cool. That is, that's definitely a gateway. Because I don't, I'm not getting the feeling like they're trapped here as much as they, they like to mess around. They, they like it here. <laughs> but, I, I mean, a spirit, a being like that can't, I don't think you could really trap one unless you were some like really high level ceremonial magician and you certainly wouldn't trap a whole bunch of them. I get the feeling like they, I mean, they can come back and forth, right? from 
the realm of, they're a type of fairy. I know that sounds corny, but that's where that place is called. That's why we call them fairies, right? <laughs> Pretty quickly, Jeffrey was sensing that these gnomes weren't trapped, but choosing to be here. Contradictory to what Alexis had theorized, and Jeffrey too had considered on our first call. So these uh, gnomes are earth spirits. They're uh, traditionally north is the direction associated with earth, and that's why they like shiny things. They like metal. They like all those kinds of things because they, they live under there where all the metal is. And all those things that we see in those movies and stuff, that's where it comes from, from the real old legends, from the old days, right? So sometimes there's a lot of truth in that, things like that. So I brought some things to try and coax them back that way <laughs> that I'll do later minute. It's a little darker and calmer. There's so many different layers of things going on. But yeah, I, I don't get the feeling like someone did what, probably, I mean, if they Googled how to cast a magic circle, they would have gotten a basic Wiccan circle, and those things degrade. Or yeah. if you walk through them, they burst like a bubble. So that's definitely a doorway, and it's definitely a portal right there. And it's a natural one. There's something about these two trees, the way they're growing. I mean, it could very well just be one. I mean, I don't see the roots coming up, but... I mean, there's lots of pairs of trees around here, but there's something way different about this. When I yeah. in the corner of the house, I was like, stop. Mm -hmm. And it was like, bam. So I, it could be how they're coming and going. I don't know, but it's definitely there. It's definitely there. But I mean, it's, it doesn't feel man-made. It's, so it's supposed to be there. You know? Jeffrey was also picking up on a portal that Sarah and Alexis picked up on as well. After this initial walk around the property, he moved inside. Jeffrey was immediately pulled to visit exam room two. Just a quick note here, he was not coming in blind and he was made fully aware of the female apparition sightings and some of the other activity. Because after he'd gotten those initial readings and hits on our first call, I went ahead and explained the case to him so he could come prepared to do his ritual. I didn't see her. I asked her if she would tell us if there was something we could do. Yeah what the sadness was. Um, you know, I'm just feeling like emotion from it. I just, I mean, I started to tear up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I could see in my mind's eye, just, just with her head down and, and just that angle that it's, it's just dejection. But I, other than that, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not getting any, I don't think she's really in there as much as I was just sort of picking up the vibe. It's gonna attract spirits, but it would have attracted maybe someone, you know, a medicine woman or something like that that was sensitive from back then and maybe she's attached to this place because it was special to her in her lifetime. Yeah. And she's trying to protect it because, I mean, the more you live on the land, with the land, as part of the land, the more connected you're going to be to spirit. And, and if she is a Native American from back in the day when all of this area was settled because of the water, like from here all the way down to like San Marcos is a special holy place for the mm -hmm. Native Americans where the aquifer comes up. Then that may be what she's here for. And then the, the renovations would have stirred her up probably. But again, it's just like there's different things that are not really connected except that they're all here. Like from different times. The lights flickered with her, that was anything or nothing. Mm -hmm. We both definitely got the impression that she wants to connect with the woman. That's why mm -hmm. she didn't talk to me. She doesn't want to talk to the, mm -hmm. the white guy. <laughs> she wants to talk to another woman. Yeah. 
Jeffrey has some psychic abilities and picked up on the female presence we believed was the same presence seen often in exam room 2, but he couldn't physically see her. He only felt her energy in the space. He did get impressions of her and what she was wearing and also saw tan colors like the doctor and Sarah, but he also picked up on a turquoise or blue color with her as well. There was even an instance where the lights flickered, but we had no way of knowing if that was her trying to communicate or not. It was time for Jeffrey to lend his expertise and experience to this unique case, and he was ready to step outside and perform the rituals he felt were necessary for what the energy was telling him. He needed to do this in private, so I asked him if he could just share a little of what he intended on doing with us. Well, I'm going to go out, and like I said, if there's any residual, like a circle or something where someone from that spot cast, I'm going to go by the elements that they would have called on backward and ask them, you know, just basically release the energy in the four directions, right? And then I have another bag of goodies that I'm going to um, take into the north, into the property, and that's where I'm going to put the things that will entice the, the fae, the gnomes, to maybe go back home, things that they like, things that they're okay. attracted to. But that's, I'm just literally going to put it in the ground basically bury them, you won't even see them. The sun had fully set and Jeffrey stepped outside to begin his work. Meg, our photographer, followed him just to document the process while I stayed indoors with the staff. After about 30 minutes, Jeffrey asked us to join him outside and get an update. What I did the first time around was basically just, if there was any energy like from a circle that was cast, I released it. I thanked the spirits of each direction. I took a piece of wood, a stick from this property in that direction, and I broke it. That was a symbolic breaking of that. We're also under, we just had the new moon. The moon looks like a sickle in the sky. That also helped me with that energy, right? And then in the opposite of the directions that most people would do when they're casting the circle, I uncast it. Again, I don't know that there was, so I, you know, I said, if there was anything done, I'm releasing you. Um, that should open it up, but it, it hasn't changed the, the bubble energy at all. That's definitely still there. And then the last thing that I did was in the, in the north, again for the earth, was just some um, herbs and some things that they like and basically invited them to follow the way home kind of a thing. Um, and it's buried, you'll never see it. They're crafty. They're kind of like, yeah, 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 but they were starting to get interested, I could feel like, so it's going to attract them, and then hopefully they they will see that they can go on back home. Jeffrey had now informed us that this energy field or bubble, as many of our practitioners had described before, was still there. He now believed that it was not man-made, but in fact part of the natural energy from the land itself. He also joked about the crafty gnomes not falling for his lure yet, but he had faith that they eventually would. We were just talking about the the confluence of all these energies and all these entities, and that's the word I've been trying to come up with that sort of encapsulates everything, confluence. You've got the underground water, you've got the tree spirit, the, the minerals, all those things we've been talking about. Then you've got all these spirits and elementals and all these spiritual energy that's attracted here, the way the spiritual energy is recycled from all the natural elements, and then I even get the impression that sometimes this might be like a train depot where spirits crossing over stop and then they're not here very long. They stop in, they kind of get attracted to this place because it's not the light, but it's a light, right? Kind of a thing. And they hang out and then 
So I wouldn't be surprised that the gnomes, I don't think they were conjured here as much as maybe they got kind of got caught on the, like the rapids of the, some of that energy. And they're like, oh, we can hang out here for a while, kind of a thing. So what I've done is opened a, a hole for the, some of the energy to run back that way to where they're from. So, but you guys both just had a reaction when I said the train station thing. That was also an analogy that uh, Sarah had oh. used. That uh, that was she felt this was like a train station for a lot of those different elementals or passing through, and that's why there's so much activity. Maybe the dome has collected them in some respects too, and it's just a big portal of in and out. You see, there's so much that could have happened. I mean, some of them may be attracted and want to stay and play. Others, crossing over, might sometimes they don't know that they're dead and they're still confused, and they might get stuck. You know, kind of a thing. So. Jeffrey had unknowingly hit another thing that Sarah had picked up on here, the property itself being like a train depot. In many ways, this location reminded us all of a micro version of Pioneer Farms. If you haven't listened to that series, go back and you'll understand what I'm referencing here. But at this point, we were going to move back inside where Jeffrey had some final remaining items and instructions he was going to leave Dr. Dobson and the staff with. This will just keep mm -hmm. out, you know, general negativity, general protection, but the... It was telling me, I think, that, you know, there's no hex or curse or dark juju on this place at all. So good to hear. don't have to worry yeah, about that. Have, I don't but think felt that. Yeah. you don't want anything that might carry that to mm. come. So I would hang this up. And then you could put this, if you were in your own home, you could put it on a doorknob. But if you want to just put this somewhere inside or out, close to the door, okay. or where people go, if you want. Just yeah. hanging that. It, don't take things out of it. No, no, no. Leave it. Just leave keep it, it all shut. Leave it shut. Yeah. Okay. okay. This is regular sea salt mixed with black salt. If you ever feel like things are getting out of hand again, or if you feel like something dark is trying to enter or anything like that, mm -hmm. what you can do, especially, it's good to do like two nights ago was the dark moon when we had no moon. That's when you do stuff like this. You would take it in front of the main doorway and just sprinkle it from right to left, no, left to right, right to left, okay. across the door, and then just leave it. And okay. eventually it'll go away, but that's what the, black salt is something that witches make with ashes and things from their cauldron and sea salt. But it's Thank good to you. do around the time of the new moon. Other than that, if you feel any like general negativity, you can also just take a bowl of salt and put it like up on top of the locker somewhere it will be disturbed and change it once a month it just it's kind of like putting baking soda in your refrigerator hmm. it just yes. sort of absorbs all that pour it down the drain don't pour it on the ground because salt is bad for the the ground before wrapping up the night there was one more thing that came up let me preface this first with letting you know a little more about meg our photographer for this night Meg has been a friend of the show for some time now. She's actually our lead tour guide at our ghost tours at Pioneer Farms. She's studying as a student under Sarah, our team psychic. She possesses psychic gifts herself and is a practicing sound healer. Well, after spending time in the space capturing photos for us this night, she couldn't help but share a few things that she was picking up and had some additional things that she wanted to offer the staff. So you got wood, quartz, limestone, Wood. This wood is completely different. This wood comes from a completely different continent. Some of this comes from here. So things have natural residence, right? Like we all vibrate at a certain wavelength. Mm -hmm. 
So each wood, each crystal, each person has their own special tone. So these are all vibrating at different frequencies and it's a little bit dissonant. It's not a bad thing, but bringing a little bit of that entrainment, like we were talking about, we feel like this land is entraining us into its energy. And it feels like this, because it's all natural, nature is a lot more stable than we are. It's stronger, it's a stronger vibration. Mm -hmm. So it feels like competing vibrations, bouncing off of mirrors, hitting stone that's trying to ground, but some of the stone and the mirrors and the wood and everything, it's so many different types. And like I said, it all comes from different places. The energy worker in me wants to get everything vibrating at the same at least harmonizing together so that there's less dissonance, mm -hmm. but that also helps the energy in here move a little smoothly. You'll feel the difference when you come in. You'll just be like, whoa, how does it feel so nice? If this is just some boring old strip center glass and concrete mm -hmm. thing with metal in it, it, it would all be kind of dead, but there's there's maybe a reason so why you chose all this stuff because of the energy of this place once. And this used to be a home, yeah. mm -hmm. and now it's a business, but it's a not just you know an office office right so there's all those factors that are coming together on this just the right spot at just the right time it seems like you know it feels really nice too I mean, you can tell that you honor this space and you care for it and you love it 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 feels that way but it's a lot of energy that's come from many different places all now in one spot and it's all um, so the particular sound healing that I do, a lot of people go to yoga classes and you see these frosted white bowls and, and we chime them very similar to large wine glasses. Mm -hmm. So the bowls that I work with are a couple notches up, they're the creme de la creme. They are, they're infused with gemstones and earth elements and precious metals. For spaces like this, when we're talking about the natural resonance of things, well, when you've got portals and ley lines and additional things going on, this can help bring everything into a harmonious symphony so that it's all playing together through the you know law of entrainment, energy. We can't create it or destroy it. What Jeffrey's done is not going to make anything just dissipate, but we can bring it into a more harmonious state so that you're all feeling more attuned to what's going on around and everything just feels a little more balanced, just in general. It also tends to get rid of all the stress that's hanging out too. If there's anything negative lingering, it will tend to just vibrate it right out of here, which is nice. When you brush your, the nap of your carpet or your velvet jacket the wrong way, you know? And it's yes. All, yeah, but when it's you all, give it a yeah. nice brush or that kind of thing, it's like everything is still there in the different layers, but now they're flowing together instead of being off green with each other mm -hmm. kind of the thing. Okay. And that's, that's definitely going to help things like the, the thing that I opened. It's going to help things flow more smoothly. Meg mostly always carries her bowls just in case there is a need, and tonight she had them with her. The staff were very open to have her perform a sound healing in the space. So we gathered in the center of the home and ended this night with this final healing ritual.
We wrapped up this night here at Dripping Springs feeling we brought a lot of new things to light for both the staff and for the team. Nearly a year had passed since our work here at the Vision Center, so I decided it was time to check in on the staff and see where things were now that time had passed. After Jeffrey and Meg came, you know, things like mischievous things like this uh, just have not been happening. You know, every now and then something will fall, but I, you know, we don't really connect it with any mischievous activity. I think we it's explainable. One thing that was just so interesting was we have a visual field that patient sits at the instrument and clicks. This is to test the peripheral vision. After Meg was here with her sound bowls that Monday after she was here, and for about two or three weeks after that, almost every time the patient was on the visual field, we would hear sound bowls that were just in the exact frequency or notes as she performed. It was like a reverberating, you could feel it, just like when she was performing the, the sound bath. And we, every single person in the office noticed it. You know how the sound bowls just, even after she stopped, it just lingered and then faded out. That's what was picked up. The lights continue to this day, you know, flicker and strobe even on the interior. I was interviewing a candidate for the front desk two weeks ago as a matter of fact. And we were in exam room two. We had the door closed. You know, I had a really good feeling about this candidate. As we were talking, the light above her head started flickering and strobing so fast when she talked that it was distracting. You know, then when I would talk, it would stop. And then when she would talk, it would start to flicker again. So that was something, you know, I, I took that to be a, a positive thing. So we were done with the interview. She left and Dr. Dobson came out of the, out of his exam room with a patient and, you know, then came back to his office and said, I know you were in that interview, but did you at any point walk into my bathroom and or go into my bathroom, which is inside of his office, private bathroom? I said, no, I wasn't in there. I was in with this candidate for a while. He said, okay. He said, I walked back in from this exam, and one of my bathroom cabinets was open. He said, that was just really unusual. I don't do that. So then he said, and then I went to go wash my hands, and my soap dispenser was on the opposite side of the sink, but really misplaced, you know, displaced. So then I told him about what happened with the light, you know, above the candidate's head. And he said, maybe, you know, you were in uh, her room. <laughs> she, she felt like she was locked out or something. So she came into my bathroom. You know, we talked about the lights and, you know, we were thinking that's that seems like a good positive thing. <laughs> so anyway, we've hired her now. So we'll see. That's really cool that it has to do with the cabinet, too, because Sarah had mentioned that the female presence had something to do with, was interested in the cabinets, you know? 
So it's kind of interesting that you had a, a cabinet open and then you had the soap possibly moved. Whenever Jeffrey had given us a few items to, to kind of help the energy in the house, I think it was a, a mixture of, of certain stones and a certain herbs in a, in a little bag that we were to place in the center of the house. It was kind of a special salt that was used to throw across the doorways of the home. And those practices were something we could try and, and see. It, it definitely was a different energy after specialists had been in. And after doing those, I don't know if it was the ritual of maybe clearing our minds or clearing a new chapter or it was the the actual substance itself but the energy did change in a way that there wasn't quite as many interactions but we keep up those practices like we have those items still in the house and i think that for the long term it just seems like something to be there and it seems like things are great with those in place so why not this experience has been pretty pretty amazing and eye-opening to see a lot of confirmation about what we've experienced along the way. You start to question yourself so much in a day whenever you hear sounds that you can't verify, or you see things that are just completely unexplained. But uh, during this process and through your investigation, it's it's been pretty eye-opening to see that, you know, maybe that we all have to experience things or look at things in a little different way. I'm usually quick to have come up with reasons as to why certain circumstances may have happened. But as they repeatedly happened, there was some verification that now these aren't just, you know, natural occurrences. These these are something that's something else. And it was pretty interesting to, to have some validation along the way when some of the paranormal specialists had come in and, and taken a look at things to just go, okay, maybe this is coming from another thing. How that's left me throughout this uh, experience has been just to keep it, to, you know, keep my thoughts open that maybe not everything is completely understood. Coming from, you know, medical background, you kind of just want some hard evidence. And in some cases, it's just not always there. I do feel through the experience, we've had certain staff members that the, uh, either the elementals or the gnomes that they were talking about were interacting with certain people more so than others. That, I think, has to do with whether people have kind of an open mind to that and they would tend to interact with the folks that were maybe more open to that possibility in their mind. Being one of them, I, I thought you know all along that it would be a, a possibility and so maybe that's how that these spirits tend to interact is with people that keep that open as a possibility. As far as how I feel about the future in the, in the space, I really feel like it was so nice to have some validation that nothing seems ominous in our space. The space in itself has been all kind of harmless interactions in a lot of ways where there was some unexplained bits or some things that were not dangerous to anyone, but still a little bit weird and odd. And that is acceptable. Uh, as far as being something to work and live in. It, it's not something that I have an ominous feeling about or look back on as, oh, this is this is a concern. Uh, nothing feels scary. Nothing feels like it's, it's not right or an evil spirit per se. A lot of times it just feels like they're, yeah, mischievous or just wanting to contact us on the other side, kind of in a playful way. So that hasn't left me with any feeling of being scared or being 
you know, being concerned about it. Although I will say, if I run into the office in the middle of the night on any occasion, I, I do look over my shoulder a little bit. <laughs> you know, I know that Sarah mentioned that when she came off of the main road and drove into onto our property here, that she just felt such a calming, peaceful, you know, atmosphere. And that's from day one is how I've felt about this place. It's almost, you know, she, she mentioned a bubble and that is how I've always described it, you know, a long time ago before we even met you all. And it just seems like whenever we're here, time has kind of stood still. It's the sense of peace and we all feel it here. And we're all, you know, very generally very happy people. And I think it drew all of us here. This was absolutely one of our more unique cases. And we may not have found answers for everything that goes on here at Dripping Springs Vision Center. But it's still great to see that whether or not what we provided actually solved all the mysteries, there's still been some level of peace and understanding brought to the staff here. I was especially happy to hear that they were open to the things that Sarah, Jeffrey, and Meg brought to them, and that they're still honoring and practicing them today. In the end, I felt with Jeffrey's help, we did in fact help alleviate the mischievous activity quite a bit. There still remains the question of who or what still haunts this vision center though. What exactly is the source of these reoccurring bangs that still continue to this day? The rubber balls have never manifested again after the third one was reported, but we may never know if this was unexplainable phenomena or just a former employee who pulled off a practical joke. And lastly, the big question that still lingers on all our minds to this day is who is this female spirit in exam room 2? And is it her trying to communicate through the flickering lights? Well, after this case was closed, we were actually invited to come and spend a late night here in the space to explore and see if we could witness any more of these strange happenings that were still occurring. It was just my core team of Franklin and Alexis and I, but we brought along Jeffrey and a few others. And although we didn't have any profound experiences, we each had our own unique personal experiences along with some collective ones as well. Most notably were sound anomalies, hearing things that just weren't actually there, including a woman humming in exam room two. I actually captured this and much more on my recorder and will be sharing this on our Patreon page next month. There is one last thing that I must share before we close this case. It was a detail I wasn't quite sure was going to make it into this series because of the uncertainty of it all in the beginning. However, when we returned for our fun night of exploring and investigating recently, Jeffrey unknowingly got something that tied directly back to this thing that Sarah got regarding the female spirit in exam room 2. This was a detail I hadn't shared with anyone including Jeffrey, so he did not have any knowledge of what you're about to hear. Ethel is her name, and there's like a B in the last name. Or Ethel. Ethel. I kept seeing it like a, but I couldn't figure it. It sounded like Ethel. Hey, Ethel. It's Ethel something with a B. Ethel B. Ethel B. That was recorded on the first investigation with Sarah. The reason there was so much uncertainty around Sarah's initial discovery of the name was that it wasn't a name common in Spanish or Native American culture. We'd all come to believe this woman was dark-skinned and possibly Hispanic or Native American, 
but the name Ethel was quite contradictory to this. Despite that, I still had my father research Ethel bees in the Dripping Springs area, and to our surprise, the only one he found was an Ethel with a Spanish last name starting with a B. She was born in 1933 and died in the 90s, but there was no photos of her or other records to indicate what she looked like. There was also no indication at all that she lived or died in the area of the Vision Center. In fact, where the records show her living were quite a distance from the site. Now listen to what I recorded on this most recent trip to Dripping Springs with Jeffrey. If I'm wrong about the name, you can just... No, we're not going to... Yeah, and I don't... No, I don't have a name. I'm not expecting... I'm going to show you the name, Franklin. With an e. Something with an E came through. Not Evelyn. So I, almost like a, a nonsense word, but Eho. Something like that. Okay. But with an E. Almost seeing a long name, but it, I know it has started with an E, an E name. Okay. So, we sadly were just unable to fully solve this mystery. But, our time at Dripping Springs Vision Center is not over. We've been offered access to the space anytime we want to come and explore the strange things that go bump in the night in this very special place of business. And we intend to do just that. Be sure to join us as we begin a new paranormal adventure on April 24th. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast, and consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash thenightowlpodcast. As I mentioned, I'll be posting a lot of extras from our late night investigation of the Vision Center on Patreon, including the audio of the female humming in exam room 2, surveillance footage of the light activity, and more. And lastly, don't forget to pre-order our limited edition Stay Restless Mineral Wash Tea. Pre-orders close this Wednesday, March 29th at noon Central Time. Stay restless out there. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Sarah, Alexis, Franklin, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. My dad, Sam, for his incredible historical research. Bo for helping produce this busy indie show. Mikey for his assistance editing this particular episode. Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftworks Sound. Do you have a song that could use a professional touch to get it across the finish line? Do you wish you could remove the sound of a loud air conditioner or distracting mouth noises from your podcast recording? Whatever your issue, David can repair and enhance your audio and help you achieve rich, full, professional sound at industry standard loudness levels. Quit struggling with audio engineering and get back to creating. To discuss your options, reach out to David at driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T. Worksound.com and set your creative self free.